0: Hello, welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I am also an EMDR therapist and a yoga teacher. My practice is the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And this episode is called Ate Up With a Dumbass. (laughs) and I'll explain that in just a moment. But welcome to season three, episode three, and let's start the way I always do, which is with a nice deep breath in that expands the chest, and then go ahead and exhale, maybe allowing that to melt down heavily and in a comforting way throughout your body. Pull your shoulders down and away from the ears, align the spine, get your hip bones into a comfortable position and maybe ground your feet, whatever that means for how you are listening to this podcast. I always like to get everyone in a place where they can physically get comfortable enough to listen uh, when I do this kind of work. Um, Same thing with therapy, same thing with yoga, uh, especially with EMDR. But finding a couple cleansing breaths, maybe even on your own as you tune in here. And I want to talk about the history of ate up with a dumbass. It's, it's so stupid, but it actually comes from my ex-husband. It was a phrase that he said, if you asked him, hey, how are you doing? And if he was feeling kind of fucked up or he wasn't feeling good, he'd say, I'm ate up with a dumbass. <laughs> maybe that says something about me. <laughs> but I also uh got so used to that phrase and it made me laugh so much that I continue to use it. So if somebody asks me, How Sarah, how are you doing? And when if it sucks, I'll say, Well, I'm ate up with a dumbass. And so This podcast is about those moments when you don't feel so great. It could be after a bad call. Um, Maybe you're having your first round with anxiety, or you're suffering from your first panic attack. Um, Maybe your depression got out of control. Maybe you've finally noticed that you do drink too much. Uh, You could be debating on a divorce. Maybe you just had a major argument with a supervisor maybe you're in the middle of a workman's comp case or a psychological injury issue um, at work or even in your personal life, whatever it is, that's sort of the list of things that would bring first responders into my office for a first time counseling session. So that's why I said that particular list. But if we're not feeling good, uh, a lot of times we get this desperate feeling of what do I do? And all of a sudden, There are no atheists in a foxhole and counseling all of a sudden becomes this, I guess I have to, and I don't care what it sounds like or what people think I'm going to go because this feels awful. And so I want to talk about what happens if you're feeling awful, whether it's because of a bad call, your anxiety, depression, trauma, current circumstances or whatever. Uh, If I could give someone some initial guidance my number one go-to will be to breathe. And that could sound superficial to some people. You know, take three deep breaths, you know, and exhale mindfully doesn't sound like it can do much, but there is so much associated with our breath. And as a yoga teacher and a yoga student, uh, we understand, I understand pranayama. And pranayama, if you want to Google that a little bit later, it's P-R-A-N-A. So there's the prana part. And then yama is Y-A-M-A. And it's pronounced pranayama. It means life force. And as first responders, you all probably understand airway is significantly important and number one on the list of things to address. So it's the same thing with a psychological crisis. And if you're experiencing psychological discomfort, I'm always going to tell you, come into alignment with your breath. Um, one specific exercise that you could use to do that with is the Navy SEAL breath called box breathing or square breathing. And I offer that because sometimes that is the first lesson in breathing that a first responder will consider learning because it's the Navy Seal breath. Um, But you breathe in on the side of the square, exhale across the top, inhale going down the square, and exhale across the bottom. And of course, you can do that at different speeds and variations of depth, and you can slow it down. But I also want you to know that if you look up Pranayama on Google, you'll find many, obviously, images, videos, articles, instructions on how to use your breath to heat things up or to cool things down, to create more energy or to create more calm. And so it's so important for us to understand as humans that we have everything that we need to succeed and that number one, my go-to is going to be to breathe. And that's sometimes our first meditation as well. The first meditation that a human may do is just a breathing exercise so that the head and heart, again, can come into alignment. And I want everybody to, to try that, especially in the first responder world. Plus, it, it fits great with your careers. I know as a therapist myself, you know, when I'm taking in a lot of negative stories throughout the day or negative moods, things like that, I will also align my spine and root down through my hips as I'm sitting as a therapist or plant my feet on the ground and come into my breath to move into the stillness of my breath and that is always very relaxing. You know, it's a parasympathetic nervous system activity. So if there's something in my environment or even internally that's making me escalate or cause any kind of inflammation, my breath is the first thing that I'm going to tend to. And if we think about it for firefighters, you put on that SCBA, whether you're in the maze or an actual fire, whether you're in the burn tower or you're in the back of the ambulance, you are definitely going to want to notice that your breath should be in alignment because you will think more clearly. Law enforcement will definitely, uh, hopefully, tune into their breath when they are on the firing range or should they have to use their weapon on duty. There's always a moment where you have to notice your breath and calm the mind so that you can focus and see the situation with clarity. Same thing with Nurses and dispatchers, depending on whatever it is they've been confronted with. So I would love for everyone maybe over the next week to just notice when your breath gets out of alignment and practice breathing it back into an alignment. Because again, all of our jobs sort of put us out of alignment. And I think about how that's relevant for every career in many ways. Uh, But I'll shortly or briefly mention a friend of mine who is a lawyer, and he can be so intimidating. Uh, His practice and my practice are so different. But, you know, he's told me before, I love getting people out of alignment with their breath. And of course, he would love that. But he has described to me, you know, it's so easy to ask a human, what's your name? What's your birthday? Um, What's your favorite color? What's your favorite meal? And then when you ask him, what were you doing on this day? The moment that they take that deep breath in on that unexpected question or the more uh, invasive question, if I could put it that way, he knows that he has captivated their body in, in a way. And if you can captivate the body, you can captivate the mind and vice versa. So... I always want you to realize that your breath is your grounding force. So if I say to my clients, I want you to ground down, I want you to root down, um, a lot of times that's my cue for find your breath. Don't tell me you don't know. Don't tell me that you're just going to be pissed off. Breathe and let's start to make some sense because the mind will lean, it will bend, it will break if you do not come into alignment with your breath. So, The first nine minutes and 35 seconds I see of this podcast is all about breathing. I hope you get the point. And if we go to point number two, Uh, just sort of moving on. A lot of the times when I see someone having a bad day and they can't get back on track and breathing or meditation is not bringing them into alignment, I know that the ego and the self are sort of separated. And so we can look to internal family systems about this. That's a theory in psychology that we have different parts of ourself. And certainly the ego is one part and the self is another How do I know that? Because I have to take care of myself. So it's pretty interesting, right? I am going to take care of myself. Right there implies a sort of duality. And the I and myself can get into conflict and create problems. And the internal dialogue may not be very healthy. And so a lot of times, too, the first thing that I have to work on with a client is improve their relationship with themselves. And to me, that's pretty fascinating uh, that we even have to start there, but let's go with the basics, right? Let's get your breath under control and let's get the relationship with you into some sort of alignment as well. And that's why in previous podcasts, I talked about self-love so much because your relationship with you is sort of the template with everything else. And we don't have to shed the ego so much or get rid of it because you can't. It's there for a good reason. But you do want to allow it to grow, to develop, and to change as need be. And how do we do that? How do we face the ego? Uh, number one, you have to notice it and become self-aware of the fact that you're noticing your ego. And eventually you'll you'll start to recognize its patterns and personality and then it's up to you to make a choice of who's going to be in charge the head or the heart and i always say that my brain is just an organ that does some thinking i i do identify that as my ego but my heart where i place my hand on my chest and i say my name is sarah you know i don't put my hand on my forehead and go hi i'm sarah but when i place my hand on my chest and i say hi i'm sarah I know that that's the core or the center of who I am and that this is my intuition, my gut, my felt sense, my truth. And from there is where I'm going to make my choices. And a lot of times the ego will want to resist that. I certainly understand that's a normal part of being a human being because the ego wants to protect me. It wants to ignore, deny, minimize, and numb but it is my responsibility to re-engage the inner dialogue and focus on my own well-being and self-care to navigate all the shit that I'm going to encounter on this place called Earth. So, um, again, maybe speaking of Earth, I always want my ego to learn to grow and to develop on this Earth because on this Earth there are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences everything can kind of fall into one of those three categories. And to me, there's a lot of relief in that. So I'm either having a pleasant, an unpleasant, or neutral moment, and there isn't really anything else there. And what's even more relieving to me is that I only have two choices in that moment of one of those types of experiences, which is I can be wise or I can be unwise. And I really don't consider things good or bad, right or wrong. I just look at them as wise or unwise. And if I go down the unwise road, I'm okay with that because I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes. And when I go down the unwise road, quite frankly, that's when I learn the most. And because I am a willing forever student on this earth, when I go down the unwise path, I don't feel shame and regret. Um, or that I need to forgive myself or anything like that. I just sort of come back to the fork in the road where I went wrong, and I make my correction, and then I get to choose the wise path. And the silly thing about being a human on this earth is when you choose to go down the wise path, all you end up is at another fork in the road where you're going to experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral things, and you get the opportunity to be wise or unwise all over again. So I think there's some comfort in thinking about life this way. That number one, you need to breathe and come into alignment with your mind and your body. Number two, you need to pay attention to your ego, its complex problems and patterns, and know that you have everything within you to succeed in order to resolve that inner conflict. And number three, that we're all on that same sort of journey and that. You know, one person isn't better than another, and we all face different types of hardships, no matter what, on, again, this earth as human beings. Now, if I was going to make another point, uh, that kind of brings me to the fact that I do love my nightmares and your nightmares, uh, and for a good reason. But not just your nightmares, um, I love the rock bottoms, the panic attacks, the suicidal fantasies, and before you freak out about me saying that i 'm you know i 'm not loving it in a sadistic way or an irresponsible way, and I certainly know that passive suicide ideation, suicide ideation, and actually being suicidal are major issues, problems, tragedies, traumas, but your escape wishes. Are, is what I'm referencing when I say suicidal fantasies specifically, um, or your extreme anger or whatever it is that you are going through. All of those things make people so nervous. But for me, I kind of feel like I'm saying, oh, hello, caterpillar, I see you wiggling about. <laughs> and we're about to put you in this wonderfully safe and beautiful sturdy cocoon and the therapy is sort of like that cocoon maybe and it's scary in there because you're going to liquefy right but as you liquefy in the cocoon uh metaphorically speaking you start to metamorphosize into something different and you become this new winged creature if i stay on this analogy or whatever and what i love is i can't do anything for you you are going to do it all on your own and that's what i meant before when i said you have everything within you to succeed um because you are going to cocoon yourself and you are going to liquefy and you are going to use that same material and create this new you this new wiser you sometimes i also compare this to a tapestry And I tell people, you know, we can untangle all these knots in your tapestry, but we can't get rid of any of the thread. And we can reweave it, though, however you would like it to be rewoven, if that's a word. And another, like, unique part of the therapy process is, once again, I can't do anything. I can be your witness. I can offer some suggestions. I can give, you know, feedback. I can teach some things that you might need to know along the way. But when a butterfly, for example, is ready to come out of the cocoon, it has to beat its wings up against the cocoon and it has to struggle. And if anything comes in to help or tear open that cocoon, the blood in the wings will not expand through the tips of the wings and you're going to kill that creature because it won't be able to survive outside of that cocoon. So again, I sort of see myself as a witness And that's why I say I love these terrible moments, because in a way, I enjoy being a part of someone's journey um, as a witness or as a helper and to see them grow and develop and become wiser and to fly on their own and to know that they did it really all on their own. So maybe thinking about your difficult moment, if you're having a difficult moment right now and you're listening to this. Uh, maybe you 're in the cocoon maybe you 're scared of the liquefying process maybe you 're scared of not being able not being able to beat your wings up and out of this seeming seemingly trapped situation, but you can do it, and it is all within you and I think that's a wonderful point also or mindset to take when it comes to coping and healing and who doesn't need more coping skills, we all could benefit from learning about how do I breathe into alignment, how do I have a relationship with myself that has an integrity, how do I allow myself to learn and grow when I want to ignore, deny, minimize and numb everything as a part of myself as a part of my ego, but myself, you know, wants the challenge of this, you know, trapped cocoon and getting to the other side. But one thing that gets in the way that I think you should also consider or think about is the pattern that you have, the pattern that was in your childhood, in your high school life, in your 20s, maybe the first year on the job or so when you first got married, when you first became a parent. And even right now, what Patterns do you have that are making you ate up with a dumbass <laughs> you know what what are you doing that no longer serves you, and when you realize that what you're doing is unwise it's such a moment of liberation now, some of my clients, especially being first responders, they might want to feel embarrassed or they might feel ashamed or they may not want to take the responsibility or accountability, initially, because it just feels so rough. But I always tell them, you know, welcome to being human, where you're not perfect, um, because perfect doesn't exist anyway. Uh, Let's just take a look at what have you been doing. And maybe it worked for you for a little while, but it no longer does. And we can now move on. But I think of some other things that get in the way other than your patterns or in addition to your patterns or maybe this thinking process is your pattern um, are the different cognitive distortions that we have to learn about and identify so that we can stop doing them. So I might give someone a list of cognitive distortions, which, again, you can Google. Uh, You can also type in thinking errors uh, delusions and psychotic thinking is farther out there. So for this particular podcast, we're just going to stick with cognitive distortions. But if you look that up, you can click on images, find an image, and just start to teach yourself about the types of thinking that doesn't serve you. So for example, I'm looking at an image right now, and one of them is filtering, Filtering as a cognitive distortion is maybe when you focus on the negative, but you ignore the positive. So you're filtering out all the positive in the situation. So if you are a negative Nelly, you are doing something called filtering. There's something called catastrophizing that's making it worse than it really is. There's polarized thinking. That's the all or nothing thinking, and you're ignoring maybe the complexity of human existence. You know, when you say it's all or nothing, it's black or white, it's yes or no, it's right or wrong. And in life, there's just too many um, different contexts. And sometimes that overwhelms first responders, they want the black and white, they want the all or nothing. Uh, But when it comes to psychology, you're going to have to be more flexible, or you're going to suffer from that cognitive distortion. Um, another one is called Heaven's Reward, which is a fallacy, right? Um, and that's expecting that your self-sacrifice should be rewarded somehow. That being, you know, the good guy or taking the high road all the time should come with some kind of reward. And of course, you know that to not be true. And yet sometimes we act pretty shocked when we can't believe that there isn't always a reciprocal situation when we are a good person there's issues also with control a control fallacy is a cognitive distortion where you assume other people are to blame or maybe it's I only blame myself and again you're taking the context out and you wanting to push you know blame on someone else to have a sense of control um And that goes right along with the cognitive distortion of, I always have to be right because being wrong is unacceptable, or maybe being right supersedes everything. But again, when you start to think with this type of thinking error, uh, you're going to cause your own psychological pain. And we all know that life isn't fair, which is another cognitive distortion. If you have a fallacy of fairness, that assumes that life should be fair. And once again, that's just not true. And what's really maybe going on is you're personalizing a lot of your experience. So personalization, uh, is pretty, I don't, for lack of a better word, popular with first responders. They always assume that it is about them in some way. And I find myself saying more and more often, dude, not your circus, not, not your monkeys, like let that shit go. Um, but personalization comes from the thought that, well, I'm a responsible, good human being and I'm going to take this personally somehow, some way, because then maybe I can be in control of it. But all of that is thinking errors for sure. Another style of cognitive distortion is overgeneralizing and jumping to conclusions. I hope those kind of seem obvious. Maybe you're also doing a lot of... um fallacy of change i want my chief to change i want my department to change i want this or that to change and then i'll be fine but once again that is a cognitive distortion so is shoulds uh, when you sit there and say i should do this i should do that they should be this way that should be this way um you're shooting on the situation and probably causing yourself more distress than you need um So that's just a couple of examples of what a cognitive distortion is. But again, I encourage you to get on Google, type that phrase in and see, well, where do you tend to create a pattern in your thinking that could upset you? And then see if you can notice that about yourself, become self-aware, and as you recognize it more and more, offer yourself a change. And again, that change is associated with choice theory. Everything is your choice. You either you choose to be wise or you choose to be unwise. And when you have that internal conversation with yourself, as I mentioned before, the internal family systems, you start to get to know the different parts of yourself that create the conflict. Um, And just talking about that reminds me of gestalt psychology as well. There was a German psychologist that invented this technique called the empty chair technique. So if you're struggling having that internal dialogue or you're struggling trying to observe the internal dialogue, this particular psychologist in Gestalt therapy said, you know, sit in one chair and then switch to the other chair. Now you're not being crazy, you're not dissociating, being schizophrenic or having multiple personalities when you talk to yourself that way. So don't freak out on me. Um, but sitting in one chair and saying something and then standing up and sitting in the other chair and responding helps us become very aware that we have many parts of ourselves operating at once and that can definitely create, you know, conflict. And that's what makes people uh, upset and they feel like they're in a situation that they can't get out of. Now, when you think like this and you feel stuck, I what I also see is that you have memories that have stacked up maybe that created some negative cognitions. So again, you can go to Google and you can type in cognitive distortions, which is the stuff I just talked about. But the other thing that you can check out are negative cognitions, which are different. You might want to put negative cognitions EMDR list. So that's from the adaptive information processing model. But the EMDR cognitions are listed, usually negative cognitions and positive cognitions. And they're grouped in self-defectiveness, responsibility, safety and vulnerability, and then control and choice. So these types of thinking errors also um, become a part of your identity that creates a lot of the problem. So if you think, I'm not good enough, I'm a bad person, I don't deserve love, I'm inadequate, I'm worthless, I'm weak, I'm permanently damaged, I'm shameful... Those are a lot of self-defective, negative cognitions that we would have to work on in therapy. For responsibility, sometimes what I hear is, well, I should have done something, Sarah, or I should have known better. I should have done more. I did something wrong. It's all my fault. Those types of thinking errors are also types of patterns created from memories, old points of disturbance, and even present-day triggers that we would probably have to address But if you know about them now and you look them up and you sort of notice the way that you think isn't serving you, that could be the start of you doing better self-care and having a better wellness plan. The safety and vulnerability thoughts are things like I'm not safe, I can't trust anyone, I'm in danger, I can't protect myself, I'm going to die, it's not okay to feel or show my emotions. When you have thoughts in that category, again, you're feeling very vulnerable, you're feeling unsafe, and if we look to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we know that safety is number one. And so a person is definitely going to struggle coping and existing in this life if they have that kind of thinking. So again, other than, you know, breathing and noticing the internal dialogue and the contents of that dialogue, I want you to notice your patterns of thought. And then maybe lastly, I'll I'll give some examples of this control and choice, negative cognition or negative thinking. Uh, those could be thoughts like, I'm not in control. I am powerless. I'm helpless. I'm weak. I can't trust myself when you start thinking in that way again you're you're showing some patterns that you need to challenge your thinking errors and create more perspective and to have more positive cognitions less cognitive distortions less negative thinking so then what do we do right what do we have to do well in therapy i would say we have to treat your pain injury and illness or addictions first Uh, or at least start to chip away, I would call that resource development. We want to chip away at the resource development to give you a sturdy foundation to start coping with things that are on a deeper level. So if you have any mental or physical pain, injury, illness, or addiction, That's sort of the priority. And sometimes in the first responder world, they want you to deal with that bad call or with that incident. And it doesn't always work that way. Like we can get to the incident, but sometimes we have to peel back the layers that caused that incident in the first place. The other thing is, is making sure that you sleep well. Uh, Sleep is the foundation to your mental and physical health. And we know that sleep is a very human, restorative activity that is very natural for us. But if you're on shift work or the tones are dropping in the middle of the night, um, that's gonna fuck with your sleep. And it, it really is your responsibility to protect how you restore yourself, how you relax, and how you sort of catch up in a nurturing way to your mind and body through restorative sleep cycles, naps. And other rejuvenating uh, practices. But in addition to treating pain, injury, illness, and addiction and getting your sleep a little more routined, if it's not, uh, I always say it's very important to also to have a nutritious meal plan. Uh, Because when you're dealing with human illness, death, suffering, stupidity and property destruction, and maybe you are a spouse and a parent and a community member and a son and a cousin and a neighbor and you start adding all these roles, um, you need to know how important it is to fuel your body appropriately for the life that you're trying to live. That includes also hydrating appropriately because you are mostly water in your body, water and space actually, and how you hydrate is important. You can't have 10 cups of coffee a day or have five cups of coffee and then you switch to Red Bull and then on the your weekend you have alcohol and think that your body is going to be okay. So hydrating properly, engaging in a regular fitness routine is going to help release the happy chemicals, the serotonin, the dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins. Those are the things that we balance cortisol, catecholamines, stress hormones, junk from our thyroid, adrenal gland, uh, fatigue, and dumping. So all of this, again, is so important to notice. And to pay attention to. And in my mind, if you're doing that basic wellness routine, I'm not sure how else you have time, (laughs) you know, to get yourself in so much trouble. But first responders do. So what else do we have to do? Basic psych education, like we're doing right now in this podcast, and learning about coping skills and how important it is that, once again, if you're going to be a badass, you have to live a badass life, which means you nurture and you self care and you wellness plan all for yourself because you're going to need that love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom. And you're going to need the mindfulness to sit with the shit that that's coming at you because I don't want you to absorb it. I want you to set a boundary with it. And again, that's why I say we move into stillness um, and we can do that with mindfulness, meditation, and self-love. So no matter what, I don't think that we can escape this. We can't escape this stuff. We have to pay attention to um, how we cope. And speaking of coping, I always say, you know, I follow the eightfold path the best that I can. If you look that up, the eightfold path is another yoga thing. But people say, you know, how, how do you uh, eliminate your own depression or anxiety or trauma? And I think to myself, well, number one, I am always ethical to other people. That's number one of the eightfold path. Number two, I am always ethical to myself. Number three, my posture, the way that I you know, firmly plant my feet on the ground, I have eye contact, I um, put my body in a position to handle whatever is coming my way. Now that's called asana and yoga, and there are many, many yoga poses. But my posture is important to keep my head and heart into alignment. And then I think about pranayama, the fourth step is find my breathing. So number one, I'm going to be nice to other people. I'm going to be nice to myself. I'm going to get my body into alignment. I'm going to breathe. And then the next word you've heard me say in previous podcasts is pratyahara, which means I'm going to turn inward to notice all the working parts of myself and to make sure that I get them into alignment, me, myself, and I without the ego picking, ignoring, denying, numbing, or minimizing, I'm going to approach it with mindfulness and a sense, awareness, sense of awareness so that I can concentrate, which is the sixth step in the eighth fold path. That concentration, of course, can move into meditation, the seventh step. And once I'm in a meditation, life is at the eighth step, which is called samadhi. Uh, but another way to put that is I'm living well, right? I'm allowing myself to flow and I'm allowing myself to do the best and to let my best be good enough. Uh, But the other thing again is that has taken me uh, through a journey of mindfulness and of meditation and moving through stillness and into stillness. And what I really found out there, a Buddhist psychology concept um was what can you really do about this life and number 1 i've learned that i can remove myself from a situation but if i don't want to or i can't then i can try to be an agent of change but if i cannot remove myself and i cannot be an agent of change then i have to be in a state of acceptance which is not a state of approval but I'm going to use the coping thought that I am in a state of acceptance. And now that I'm here, I must take care of myself the best way that I can. So in psychology, we talk about this being a sort of intellectual coping skill to, be, to think this way um, in whatever range of depth that you're capable of doing it in. But coping skills can also be In how you think like what I was talking about before and it could also be in how you manage your emotions and it can be in how you physically restore yourself or purge yourself of the stress and it can also be in or with behavior change so that makes me understand some of the articles or the pictures and images that I would see on Google if I typed in what are coping skills well, all of those coping skills are either gonna be coping skills or coping activities. And both are very valuable because those skills and activities are going to be in the categories of intellectual, thought, emotion management, physical restoration and balance, or behavior change. So right now I'm looking at a post on my the self-care path. Uh, facebook business page and it looks like on february 16th i posted this very thought and there's an image of coping skills on there and it has meditation exercise uh, journal or keep track you know of something you can draw listen to music take a bath enjoy nature pray find humor in the situation do yoga gardening play a musical instrument cry smile take a walk Eat healthy food, accept a challenge, uh, squeeze a stress ball, schedule time for yourself, eat a little chocolate, play a game, take a bath, use aromatherapy, listen to music, clean your house, read a book. It goes on and on, right? But of course, some people will say, yeah, I try doing those things and it's not working. Well, that may mean that you need to identify the pattern within you that is intellectually bringing you down or in a negative Cognition way bringing you down uh, because we all need, like I said before, to learn to cope and to manage our emotions. And sometimes you're going to need coping skills, and sometimes you're going to be able to use coping activities. Now, some first responders mistakenly, in my opinion, use the term coping mechanism. But coping mechanism to me is more about your defenses and when we talk about psychological defenses um I'm actually gonna type that up so you can hear me in the background. I'm sitting in front of my computer um we're We're thinking about other types of thinking errors, and those are very ego driven. And I'm looking at a list right now. Some examples of narcissistic defense mechanisms are projection, denial, and splitting. Uh, Some immature or lower level defense. defense mechanisms are blocking, regression, somatization, and introjection. Some anxiety examples of defense mechanisms are displacement, repression, intellectualization, acting out, rationalizing, undoing, being passive-aggressive, dissociating, reaction, formation. Um, I'm just listing those out now, uh, but maybe in another podcast I can get a little deeper with that. But I also want you to know that some of these coping or defense mechanism examples can be mature. Uh, We see that in humor, sublimation, um, and even suppression. But different psychologists could put these in different categories. You'll see different clusters with different defense mechanisms, and you could see those examples. But the main point that I want you to get from that is that coping mechanisms are often defensive and ego-driven, and coping skills are actually more about the self coming into alignment to find balance. And especially in a career, once again, I will mention first responders are exposed to a lot of human illness, human death, human suffering, human stupidity and property destruction. I would say that that's a lot of yang activity. So if we picture the yin yang symbol, the yang is the masculine dark side and the yin side is the white feminine side. And if you have a lot of yang going on in your life, you're going to need to balance that out with yin. And, you know, there are people who have a lot of chill in their life and to grow, they're going to need a pinch to grow an inch. That is just how humans work. So I want people to realize that there's so much that goes into coping with your 8-up with the dumbass uh, symptom, <laughs> symptomology. and. It it can become a lifestyle and and a different pattern instead of a negative pattern and it can become a way of life that is actually really helpful because healthy distractions, grounding yourself, having emotional releases, loving yourself, having access to your higher self is very soothing actually and that relaxation and productivity uh, helps us deal with our pain. And of course, it makes me wonder, you know, well, what are you going to put in your toolbox, if you're going to stay in this career? Uh, Because once again, and I know I'm repeating myself, if you're going to be a badass, you better have a plan for sustaining it. Otherwise, badass will just become bad. And I see it all the time in my office. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, if you do know me, I've been doing this with first responders specifically for going on 12 years now. And it always amazes me that I stay full time in the field uh, with a full caseload without advertising about it. So there is something going on um, that we're craving Uh, The knowledge of how do I stay in this career? How do I keep myself happy, healthy, safe, and free? And if, you know, what I'm talking about here in this podcast and throughout the podcast, just isn't enough information to keep you into some kind of alignment. That's where I'm going to really push and encourage you to get to a therapist that you think you can connect with, and build a relationship with so that you can Put some tools in the toolbox and whether that be something as simple as breathing or challenging your negative cognitions or learning how to more skillfully manage your emotions or to learn how to truly change your behavior or to create a wellness plan uh, or a self-care plan or a behavioral treatment plan for yourself, what's wh- what would be wrong about having that sort of access to that guidance or support or even having a witness on a journey like that. Um, I think it's invaluable. And I always remind people um, we all need this kind of support, helpers, savers, rescuers, protectors. (laughs) You, You have to have a well that you're drawing from because you are the well that many people go to and take from. So... I hope that this ate up with the dumbass maybe turns more into that uh butterfly out of the cocoon situation for you. And again, you can look up some of these things and identify them on Google and study them yourself. But if you need help, please do ask. Otherwise, I'm just gonna take a moment to tell you once again that my name is Sarah Gura. And I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. My practice is the self-care path in Burridge, where I treat first responders. And I will tell you to do life so it does not do you. And to wish you well, to stay safe, and to take good care. All right. Bye-bye.